This morning, I want to share with you, because I am committed, I believe God is, is just laying on my heart over and over and over that we here in this flock, in this body, part of God's body, that we are committed to not just coming to church, but that we are challenged to reach deep within our hearts and our souls to really seek God out, that all of us would take on our personal responsibility to read, to pray, to study, to fellowship with other Christians, to take on that responsibility that we would personally grow in Jesus so that no matter what the storm is, when it comes or how it comes, we are better prepared to stand firm and not let our roots be shaken. We cannot spend time just icing the cupcake. We cannot spend time just checking the box. We cannot lay our spiritual responsibility on other people. We must each individually receive that responsibility from God himself and take it upon ourselves to see that relationship with Jesus grow. And it grows. He's done his part. He's there willing to meet us. But we have to do our part. I love this, the scripture that was read this morning about faith and hope because that's something we need to allow to flow through us. If we, God's children, don't let faith and hope love through us, then who will? I loved Rex's communion meditation about the crack in the pulpit helping us to see that we are all a cracked and broken people. That the church is not for those people who have it all together, which I'm not sure that anybody has it all together. But for those who think they do, those are who we should pray for the most. Because in the world in which we live, how can anybody have it all together? But I want us to be challenged by the Word of God. In two weeks, I believe it is, uh, a new Sunday, or not a new Sunday school class, but Donna's Sunday school class is going to start studying uh, Where Do We Go From Here by Dr. David Jeremiah as a, an additional source on top of the scriptures. And this week, as they brought the material in and, and allowed me, I picked up the book and started to read, and boy, I couldn't put it down. And, and all of a sudden, I was about ready to mark all over the book, and I thought, well, maybe this is Donna's book. Maybe I should check. And sure enough, it was her book. So I was reading chapters and not being able to scribble, and I like to scribble. But the more I read, the more I was convinced, because there was another book that I had received called We Will Not Be Silenced by Erwin Lutzer. And Dr. Jeremiah responds and quotes Dr. Lutzer in, in his book. And it was just another confirmation that we as a church must step beyond what we have always had and bring it together with where we are so that we can go where God wants us to go. And God wants us to go where he's always wanted us to go, and that is beyond where we are today. That we don't rest in our, and rest on our laurels, I think they used to say, or rest on our pews. And we need to see as a people of God how the world and everything that's going on interacts and is a part of the bigger story. It's easy for us to hear things and just shake our heads, yes, and then let it go. No, it's not enough because we need to understand the big picture. 
Because when we understand the big picture, when we see the scriptures being lived out before us, and when we see it all intersect and, and, and grasp as much as we can, along with the faith that we have, we are then encouraged and challenged and motivated to move forward as God's children, not just people existing in the world. As I've said many times, he's called us not to survive, but to thrive. And we thrive when we, when we dig into the word of God and when we surrender ourselves and avail ourselves to his spirit. We say, oh yeah, let's let the Holy Spirit move in me. And oh yeah, the Holy Spirit was in that. If we talk about it at all, but folks, we have to not just talk about it. We've got to believe it. Jesus left this earth and the Holy Spirit came. Jesus told them, hey, it's better if I go because this, this other is coming. I'm sending him to you. And he will be able and you will be able to do more than I was able to do. I can't comprehend that. But that's what Jesus said. And yet today, we, we just kind of stay an arm's length or a, a truck's length or a mile length or social distance from the Holy Spirit. We can't do that. So this morning, I want to talk about something that we hear about a lot more now and have probably really recently and probably over the last few years. I just realized last night I was watching one of the games and they were bringing up um, statistics and things and they said they were telling about a team and how long it had been since this team and I won't mention any teams how long it had been since this team beat this other team and it had been a really long time 1988 before this since this one team had beat this team okay anybody watch that game last night it was one of those Affleck moments I think so anyway, but then they got on to the, I guess they didn't have enough filler, they got on to other things that happened in 1988. 1988 was the beginning, or at least the precursor of the internet. And I think that plays into where we're going to go today. So if you're looking for a Sunday school class, I'm a promo for Donna's class. Uh, dig into it, it's good. They've got 10 books, they want to fill it up. And we're going to offer this more than once though, because we're, we just feel like everybody needs to go through this material in the scripture. Today, let's take a glimpse, and I, I wrote more down than I normally do because you know I just usually let it go, but there was so much, and I was writing so fast. In fact, yesterday morning, we were sitting there, the two of us in the house, and I screamed out, and I said, Terry, I can't find this scripture. And she goes, well, here it is, wife of the preacher, right? And I had been searching Bible things that I use, software and stuff like that, and I just must not have been putting the right words in to get it. And what was the classic response for my loving wife? Did you Google it? He Googled it, and I got closer. I didn't get where I wanted, but anyway, we're going to talk about globalism. What does it mean? What does globalism mean? Ah, oh, Mark, that doesn't have anything to do with the church. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, boy, does it. It's just a term that we've come up with and think we're smart, but it's been in play since the creation, and we are in the midst of one of those efforts to globalize and we can sit here and talk all day about how we got here but it is way above how we can think that we're here now we can say the internet because of information and technology and in big companies and stuff like that keep that in the back of your mind but i want to stir you on this morning enough that you'll dig deep and see the intersection spiritually of where we are we will but skim the surface Listen carefully, though. Be called out by God's Spirit to hear the truth. 
There has been a lot said recently, now much more than ever, about this globalism, globalization. We are a global world, we are told. But what does it mean? Globalization, if you look it up, is the global spread of finance, trade, technology, resources of all sorts, movements of all kinds, info, and people. Globalization leads us to believe, and the world would lead us to believe, that there will be a single economy, a single currency, a single world culture. As much as we think that's all new, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. In fact, I want to share with you, as the book shares with you, four episodes that we've already had of this attempt at globalization. First, it happened with the Empire of Babylon. In Genesis chapter 11, we could look, Nimrod established the Empire of Babylon and built the Tower of Babel. How many of you ever used, oh, that person just babbling? You were spiritually speaking. Well, maybe not about that person. But Babel has spiritual ramifications. In fact, with the Tower of Babel was built, if you remember the story, as it was being built because the people had felt they were strong enough to reach God on their own, and so they built the Tower of Babel. And what did God say? No, 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 no. You think you all, because you have all come together under this empire, and because you found strength in numbers and so on and so forth, now you think you can reach God of your own accord instead of me reaching you and you're building this tower, I'm going to destroy the tower, and I'm going to disperse you all and cause differences in languages. Thus, the first attempt at globalization. We go on in the Medo-Persia attempt at globalization. King Nebuchadnezzar, we've all heard that before, right? At least those who have been in the church. Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most powerful, if not most powerful man at the time. His kingdom realm extended all across there was power there was wealth there were people but it too failed after that there was the greek empire by alexander the great it too we know from history failed the third attempt of globalization then there was the roman empire which we talk a lot about and read about in schools but it too, as we know, as we search for the relics left over by the Roman Empire and dig for those relics, we know it too, what lasts from it are those things that are found in the dirt. It failed. All these empires failed because why? They were without the holiness and fear of God. In fact, as they started to get stronger... They knew that they had to make sure one thing didn't happen, and that was the worship of God the Creator. Because as long as there was worship of God the Creator, there was something being acknowledged greater than them. And for globalization to work, they or whoever is in charge and in power have to have ultimate power. So God cannot be a part of it for globalization to exist, except this is where you would see the little asterisk. I'll get to that in a minute. All of these empires failed. We've heard about all of them. Maybe not study them, but they have been attempts at globalization. We are living in the next attempt at a world empire. Did you know that? We're all part of history right now. We are living in the next attempt 
at a world empire. We just call it globalization. It is nothing new, and it is prophesied in the Bible, the book of Daniel and Revelation. Those two books, one Old, one New Testament, are almost sister books and talk about and prophesy about where we are today. Now, it doesn't mention the Internet, if you look in there. It doesn't mention Mr. Apple Computer or Mr. Google. It doesn't mention those things. But if you read those two in conjunction with each other, you see where we are currently in the process of seeing another attempt at globalization and a world empire. In Revelation 13, 3... It says, all the world marveled and followed the beast. If you have your Bibles, turn to with me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Scriptures. Revelations chapter 13. Revelation chapter, chapter 13, verse 3 says, I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth, was amazed and followed after the beast. This is prophecy. This is where we are today. Oh, Mark, come on. Beast thing. Give me a break. Boy, stand back. I don't want lightning to hit. But it's exactly where we are today. The attempt of globalization is biblically prophesied and spiritually talked about. We're in the midst. We're part of the story. In fact, we're not sitting on the sideline. We're players in the story. That doesn't make you move a little in your seat. I'm not sure what will. Go on to read verses 5 through 8. There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blasphemy his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, according to the scriptures. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. For this globalization to take place and for them to be successful, there cannot be any aspect of God proclaimed. Because just the mere mention or allowance of worship of some other being, i.e. God, would mean they are not God themselves, and that is their plan. Folks, that's the globalization effort that we now live in. It's the globalization effort that will eventually be headed by the Antichrist himself. And many of us in church today don't want to talk about that, and we've kind of just put it on the back burner, acknowledging it's there. Folks, we're living within it. As little by little by little things take place, and we apathetically just allow them to take place, and we just say it's something else and far off and has no intersection with the Scriptures, we are being lulled to sleep as sheep to the slaughter. Now somebody will say, well, Mark, if it's all in the Scriptures, then there's nothing we can do to stop it. You're right. But that doesn't mean we don't stop living as if we are going to live for God 
to do the most we can right now to have the largest impact on the world we can right now, even though we know it's going to come to pass. It is going to come to pass. There is nothing about going back to normal that will change this effort to globalize our world underneath the Antichrist. And we're all players and have parts in this. So we need to understand when somebody talks about globalization so we can say, hey, did you know there's a spiritual background in that? That'll change the coffee pot tomorrow morning. See how if you want coffee and the last cup's sitting there and somebody else is ahead of you, just start talking about it. They'll leave, you'll get the coffee. Because we don't want to talk about it because it's scary. But it's real. We cannot separate ourselves from that which is taking place around us. In fact, if you don't think you're involved in it, you are. It's all together. One world government underneath the Antichrist. We don't like to even say Antichrist, do we? It's scared of it. But it's real. It's biblical. And we need to talk about it so we understand the best we can. People, power, glory, wealth, world domination. It's been tried many times over as we've talked already. Even in fact, President Woodrow Wilson, say that fast ten times. There's a story in the book that talks about when things were going wrong and the world wars were on the precipice and so on and so forth that uh, Mrs. Woodrow, Woodrow what is that? his wife <laughs> came in this mansion they, all these world leaders were in and these men, the president himself, were all on the floor and trying to divide up the world. Because events had happened and empires had fallen and so on and so forth. So you can see these educated, extreme high leaders on the floor. And she said, it looks like a bunch of boys playing a game. And the president responded, it's much, much more than a game. It's the future of our world. What we know, and, and I had to be reminded of it, if your history is that it came out of Woodrow Wilson's term was the League of Nations. And the League of Nations was the predecessor for the United Nations. Now we all understand that the League of Nations failed, but they understood then to stop world conflict and, and wars and stuff like that, there needed to be a body that you could go to quickly and then disseminate information from and hopefully lower temperatures and get people to be good boys and girls. We see how well that worked, right? League of Nations failed, but the attempt to have something like that was resurrected, and we now have the United Nations. We have seen in the last couple years and heard leadership speak, although not publicly and not publicized much, is that COVID-19 resurrected the idea that we need one body, one government to lead us through these pandemics and stuff like that, because if everybody's not on the same page, then we're never going to get over it. We do not need globalization. God is against globalization. With one asterisk, and I'll get to that in a minute, I told you, right? Got to keep you till the end of the story, right? Globalization is anti-God. Why? Because globalization cannot work the way the world wants it to work if God is any, any part of the picture. Because God is left out in those 
realms, and it's all about the achievements of man separate from God being successful in globalizing the world. It's all about what we can do without the Creator. But we know and must proclaim that it does not end with another failed attempt at world globalization. That's the hope I want you to hear. Yes, we're in the midst of this attempt to globalize our world again. And it's a spiritual globalization, i.e. the Antichrist will lead this globalization. We're in the midst of that. But I want you to hear the promise and hope for the future. Because this attempt to, if you read the scriptures, fails. Amen? Y'all read that? We're in the midst of it. Scary. You don't know how it's all going to work out other than it's going to happen. But it's not going to last. It's going to fail. For according to God's word and all praise to God, it will fail. There will be one more after that successful globalization of our world. It will not be of man's achievements. It will not be achieved through power, wealth, technology, or anything else we can try to think of. But that one last globalization will be achieved by God Almighty, God the Creator. Revelation chapter 20 talks about a globalization. Talks about the globalization under the Lord Jesus Christ. See, globalization happened in the very beginning, but because sin, it was destroyed and a whole new thing came into being. You can read Revelation chapter 20 and see that the globalization will happen under the Lord Jesus Christ. He will come again. The sound of a trumpet. If you're waiting for an orchestra or for a big band, you're going to miss it. The Bible says just one, right? Right, Steve? One trumpet. Not a Kokomo brass thing. It's not an Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra thing. It's not a... I'm trying to think of current groups and I can't. But anyway... It, it, it's just a trumpet. So attune your ears to listen for what? A trumpet. Because that's when the globalization, the most successful only globalization that matters will occur. Write this down. Daniel chapter 2 verse 44. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 9. Both prophets that give us inclinations and insights into this globalization underneath the Lord Jesus Christ. It would not be good for us to end right here because I think this is what happens so much in the church today is that we kind of get us all riled up and just boom, we're done. The question that is on my mind and should be on your mind is what do we do in the meantime? Okay, you told me I'm a player. How am I a player living in, in Atlanta, Indiana or Cicero, Arcadia, Kempton, Sheridan, a player in this big world scene? Well, because we're creatures of God, we're part of the the whole event. What do we do? What do I do in the meantime? Because we need to be actively engaged and involved. Now, some of you are going to go, not me. I've reached my potential. I've done everything I can. What can I do? 
with my limited capabilities or my young age or, or my family in the middle or whatever. I'm telling you, all of us, every one of us, without regard to age or family or wealth or education or anything else, because we have stopped across the threshold of God and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ are involved. We're in the midst. I just told you the scripture says we're in the midst. All of us have a part to play, and we need to find that part and then play it. So what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, what do we do? We live. Over the last couple years, the world has tried to make us cease living. It has tried to, to relegate us to loneliness and depression and separated us. Quite the opposite of what God the Father created us. To be relational people, to love on people, to, to have a handshake, a hug, an argument. Boy, who wouldn't have had, loved to have had an argument in the middle of COVID, yes? Preferably not the one that you were quarantined with, right? But on the phone, pick an argument with somebody just to have conversation because that's how God created us. So in the meantime, I proclaim to you, you and me, we're supposed to live, live, live life to its fullest. We are to worship our glorified Christ by our words, our actions. We are to strive to be obedient to God and his word. I don't know how many of you have been, you're already there. You're already totally obedient to God and his word. Just raise your hands just as fast as you can. Amen. We're broken like the pulpit. That's why we're here, right? This is the hospital. We are mended by God's word, by prayer, gathering around the table, by fellowship. None of us here really fully understand how much we're, we're healed and helped by gathering together. The extent of what God does within, through all of us, is amazing. We're to live. We're to go on and embrace. Listen to this. It, let's see. Ron used expound last week, didn't you? I loved it when he told I watched it. It was great. And when he says, I know they told you to stand. You all just need to sit because it might be a bit longer. Powerful preaching. That's cool. That is cool. But we are to embrace, as we live, our global mission. Not embrace globalism. But as the church, we've always had a mission that was global, yes? Set out by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. So it's not that global is wrong. It's just in the, in the, the way the world has defined globalism that's wrong. Because it's globalism according to the world without God. And globalism to God is with God and through God. Take Jesus to all the world. Embrace our global mission. And number three, hang on to this one. Anticipate. Now, how many of you have ever anticipated anything in your life? What's one thing you might... Yeah, uh, you guys just had a new great-grandbaby, right? So they've been anticipating the arrival of Jalen and Nick's little one, right? Anybody else ever anticipated it? How many of you are anticipating what's going to happen here? Maybe probably within the next hour for most of you. Not get out of church. That's not it. Lunch. How many of you are anticipating lunch? 
Yep. How many of you are anticipating, for the farmers here, you're anticipating the rain to stop and be able to get back in the fields, yes? How many of you, some of you might be anticipating marriage. Now, don't raise your hand because maybe the other one doesn't know about it yet. <laughs> don't want to spread any secrets. Anticipation's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. And the best thing as we wait in the meantime and be a part of all that's going on around us that's described in the scriptures is that we're to anticipate our glorious hope. Our glorious hope. Because we have it. If you'll turn with me now as we wrap this up. 2 Timothy. New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul speaking here. Paul speaking here. We're going to talk about Paul, Peter, and John to, to wrap up here. Paul speaks in 2 Timothy 4, 8, and he says, I'm going to go back to 3 just because of English. We should start at the beginning of the sentence. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire. Verse 4, Paul speaks, and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to miss. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship to the work, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, Paul says. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now listen to 8 in anticipation of his glorious hope. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Anticipate this message that Paul gives us. Turn to 2 Peter with me. 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 13, Peter says this about anticipating your glorious hope. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Paul and Peter both understood this anticipation of the glorious hope. And now if you would... Turn to 1 John, just a couple pages over. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. As John explains his hope and glorious anticipation for what's to come. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? We are to worship our glorified Christ. That means read the word, study the word, pray, fellowship, follow in obedience. We are to worship in our words, our actions, and our obedience. Two, we are to embrace our, the church's global mission. That's to reach the world for Jesus Christ. We all have a part to play. And last but not least is we are to live a life of anticipation. Anticipation. The glorious hope.